It was so simple. Why is it so hard? Third part has to deal with uh, Bible study. Uh, we live in incredibly busy lives, don't we? Uh, do you make lists? When I need to remember things and do it, I make a list and I write down things I need to do and then I check them off because I can get forgetful. I understand that's a great way to try to remember things and to get things done is if you make a list and happen. In our world, we make lots of lists and do lots of things because we are busy people doing all kinds of different things. You see we have this projector going up this morning. So glad to have it back going, yes. Have a welcome. We appreciate everybody who got that going. So if you, uh, do you know what this man is doing? He's putting up rafters. He's getting up there, he's setting rafters. And, and I remember doing that in church. I've uh, done a lot of that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun to do. But at busy times, if you have a family, I remember when I was uh, in, uh, going through school that when school was out, I went home and I practiced my horn and that was about it. Um, but in my children, growing up, life was totally different. Because they would leave at 7 in the morning to go to school, and they would frequently be getting home about 10 o'clock at night. What were they doing all day? Well, they said they got their homework done, but they had all kinds of other things, activities, school activities they had to do, and that they were involved with. I've watched my grandchildren. They're going through the same kind of routine. I said, how in the world do they get everything done? Because they're doing so much stuff. Have you noticed that? Part of that, part of your life going like that. Or maybe your desk looks like this. At times, it, uh, everything is piled up. You have so much yet to do. At the end of the day, you go, oh, what is the use about making that all happen. And it, therefore, it gets to time for us to be very frustrated about what's taking place in our lives and of happening. So we kind of zone out. This is what happens when I lay down. I kind of, woo, that's it. Kind of zone out and we're done. So we are, get so stressed out. We can't wait to take a break. We can't wait to get finished with it. Can't wait to have it uh, day over. So this morning, I would like for us to look for a moment. Perhaps we don't find the Bible that helpful for our daily lives. Is that possible? You see, I've got plenty to do besides Bible study, besides reading my Bible. I've got plenty to do. And it can fill the whole day to get up early in the morning. Now, some of you have, uh, who are young think that, you know, you're going to be able to sleep in. As soon as you have children, that's over. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sleep over. And by the time the kids get out of the house, you're in such a routine that you just can't get back into that. It's hard to get back in. So, man, if I get sleep in until 6 o'clock in the morning, I think, boy, this is incredible to get in there. But so much, so much. I've got so much to do, so much plenty to do makes it happen. So, therefore, I turn in Dr. Phil. 
to uh, give me my advice on what I need to do to straighten out my life, you see. He has all kinds of good advice. Well, now his credibility has been kind of shot a little bit, hasn't it? But in any, in any fashion, you know, there's lots of self-help things. So you just turn on the TV while you're doing your other things, and you can get all kinds of help for whatever problem may be going. So nobody really has time for Bible study anymore. We, our lives are so busy, and they're so crammed with stuff that we just can't get it. And besides, if there's a good movie on, it makes it really good to be able to relax and to enjoy it with your family and have it. And... Then comes along, someone says something like this. We have time to do what's important to us. I don't like that. Because <laughs> then it says there are some things that are more important. In a sense, you have to arrange your priorities of things. Of what is important. Did you know that there are 57 different versions of the Bible in English? 57 different versions. Now, I know I usually have about three or four or five, six, something like that there. And some of them are not in English. But generally, that's kind of what happens. We have all these versions in the Bible. So we have lots of versions that happen, but they're read less. We used to be known as Seventh-day Adventists. We used to be known as people of the book. We used to be known as people who knew our Bibles. And I think that is a danger of slipping away. Not happening because the secular life is forcing itself in on us. Forcing its way in on us. And they having. So in talking about Bible study or reading my Bible and looking at it and having it, I have people say, well, Pastor, Pastor, I just can't get, I get lost in all the begats. You know, if you, you know where the begats are, the begats, so-and-so, and so on. So when this lady said this to me, I said, skip them. They only had about three or four pages in the whole Bible, if I begats. So just skip them and read on. Well, I think that was just an excuse. Or they go and say, well, pastor, it's so boring the Bible is so boring. I will admit, I will admit to you, that it is not like watching Star Wars. I would, I would admit that it's, it's different than that. And it's so easy just to, my wife uses the phrase, just turning on mindless TV. You know, just turn it on to occupy or give something, the background noise going on and on and happening and happening. But I would like to draw our attention to something this morning. The psalmist wrote these words, and if you would find this in your Bible, and you probably already could just say it by heart, but in the psalmist looking in the Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 105, Psalm 19, 105, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and uh, longest chapter in all of the Bible. And if you notice, it's because it's going through the Hebrew alphabet. There's a section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So here it is, and would you notice this? I'd, I'd like you just to focus just for a moment. Your word, the psalmist is saying about God's word, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Now when you need those, usually you're in the dark, 
and you need something to help you to find it going around. When I get up in the middle of the night and have to get up and wander around the house, and so I don't want to stub my toes, I don't want to trip over anything, so I have put around little lights around so that I can see where to go at night as I'm going around in the dark so I don't wake up other people in the house and disturb them. If I don't have them, I can walk into something and seriously get hurt, can't I? And damage myself. And sometimes I have. And now I'm hopping around on one foot, wondering what in the world and don't know where I'm going to land. But the Bible's talking about your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So evidently, the psalmist is suggesting that the word of God is to be a guiding light in our lives. Didn't mention Star Wars as being the guiding light in our lives. Or even Dr. Phil. The psalmist is saying there's something in the value of God's word that is to be the light. So when we're in the darkness and looking, that the light somehow opens the way for us to be able to follow where we need to go. Okay, stay in that same, same uh, psalm. And go back to verse 11. Go back to verse 11. I have hidden your word. Where? In my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. That I may not sin against you. So there's something about the word of God that implies to us that there is a protection against sinning against God. And therefore, it would suggest to us, and this psalm implies, that there's a personal relationship between the individual and God that comes from taking his word and putting it in our hearts. I would like to suggest to you that it is impossible to have a close walk with God without reading his word. Now, I mean, say, oh, yeah, that can do it. I would suggest to you that it, you have to be in the word. Have to be in the word. All right, story time. So I want to talk a little bit about William Miller. Some of you may, I've talked a little bit about briefly before, but William Miller. William Miller lived during the um, turn of the century, 1800s beginning of the century, and he was a deist. Now, a deist is someone who believes in God, um, but believes that God created the world, was the creator, the sovereign God, but then after he created the world, he just took off and left, left everybody on their own. Therefore, there's no supernatural part. There is no Christ coming, dying for sins and all that. It's just God created the world, and that's how it is, and on he goes and just lets the world run on its own. It was very popular during the 1700s and 1800s, and many of our founding fathers were also deists. They believed that same type of thing. It was a, thought to be the intellectual thing, because if you recall, in the 1700s and 1800s, we were having the French Revolution, we were having the rise, uh, the age of reason, the scientific uh, method was developed, all kinds of things. We are having the mechanized world, and so... They were dealing with science, very important that they did, that it would be rational, logical, reasonable. And so they were deists. But along came the War of 1812. And the British were hassling us again. 
And what happened was that um, William Miller was put into the army. And he was a captain in the army, very young fellow, very capable fellow, and he was a captain in the War of 1812. And he was involved with a battle that took place. Actually, I don't have a picture of it, but there's a battle that took place. It was a naval battle part of it on Lake Champlain up in the New England area. And he was there, and the British vastly outnumbered the Americans. And in According to Miller, he knew this was a losing cause. And what happened was that during that great battle, the British lost. And that kind of was the capstone, the thing, kind of the ending of the war. Well, William Miller came back home, and he was deeply troubled about this battle. He was glad he was alive, of course. He was glad that the Americans had won. That was the side he was on. But he did not understand how it was possible, how it was irrational for the Americans to win when they were so vastly outnumbered. It should have been a slaughter. And he was very troubled about that because that did not fit into his deist worldview. And so he took his Bible, and he began to read from his Bible. Now, he was a farmer. And so in the evening he'd come, he'd light the lamp, and he would sit with his Bible. And he started reading, and he, he had not been a particularly spiritual man. Yes, he had been a few times in church, so forth. But he didn't really have a lot of interest in reading the Bible. But he said, I need to find out how it is possible that the Americans could have won. Because it appears that God intervened. And many people are saying, yeah, God saved it. So, he started reading. And being a novice at it, he just started with Genesis 1. 1, and started reading right straight through. And he kept at it day after day, reading this for years. And as he began to study back and forth, he began to be taught from Scripture who God was. Because God chose Scripture as the primary way for us down through the years to learn who he is and who Jesus did and what he did for us. He chose scripture to do that. And so he read that and saw God's actions in history. And if you read the scriptures and are familiar with it, you can start with Genesis 1 and end at Revelation 22, and you will find that it is the history, recording of the history of how God will save men. In, uh, in German, they call it Heilsgeschichte, that salvation history that goes from Genesis 1 down through Revelation 22. It all lines up on how God is sending his son to come and save mankind. It's an incredible story of history. Salvation history. And as he read this, he became more and more convicted as he read this about Jesus. And then it was, that was when he came and discovered the great 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8.14. So he ran across this and he began to look and look and research that passage. And as he looked at it, he said, oh my, lens, the Lord is going to return on October some is going to return in either 1843 or 1844. He wasn't sure as he looked at the great 2300-day prophecy. If this is all foreign to you, don't worry, we can teach it to you. But William Miller lined this thing out. And he started putting the scripture together. 
And he began to conclude that Jesus is going to return in the clouds of glory, either in 1843 or 1844. Well, if you've been paying attention, um, in spite of all of his preaching, he didn't. Jesus did not return on that day. It's called the Great Disappointment. But it began the Great Advent Movement, where hundreds of thousands of people believed Jesus was coming. And it awakened the world to come back and to focus this attention back on Scripture. It lifted Scripture up. It was an incredible event. The reason Miller got to that and had a complete change in heart is because he found in the scriptures the word of life. He found in the scriptures as he was reading what Christ's involvement was going to do in his life. And he saw the scriptures as applying to himself. And therefore he saw the importance of the lamp being the light through the darkness, do you see? So this morning, I'd like to say, why read the Bible? Right. Well, you can come to church and you can hear it. <laughs> right? Why read the Bible? All right, 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 13. I have this underlined in my Bible. Maybe uh, you do too. I did not realize that this passage was in the Scripture um, until someone carefully pointed this out to me, even though I probably have read it. It just never dawned on me what it was really saying. So John, the author of the book of John and also the book of Revelation, 1 John, 2nd, 3rd John, um, wrote and he said, I, John, write these things to you, to all of us, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Whoops, here. I write these things. Why is he writing these things? He writes these things in Scripture. He gives these things to it so that you may know you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. He wrote that. There's an importance in the writing then because it involves your life. It is from Scripture that we learn of God's actions to save us from sin and to give us eternal life. It is from Scripture. That, to me then, is really important. Would it not? To me, it would be extremely important. Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of God. So, faith, and we looked about that earlier, the lot two weeks ago, Faith, same word as trust, so you can put in the word trust. Trust, trust in God, comes from hearing the message, hearing the message in Scripture, and the message comes from the word of Christ, or the word of God. Coming through that, through the Scripture. The way we build faith is because we see the story of Jesus in Scripture. So faith comes, trust comes, from reading his word. So, the purpose of reading for me is I want to find Jesus in the Bible. I want to find Jesus in the Bible.
That needs to be my constant goal. And when I read the Bible, when I open up the Bible, I look for that, I look at the chapter, I look at the verse. How is this showing me Jesus? How am I finding the Lord in this passage? Some are easier to find in there than others, but it's in there. From cover to cover, the whole thing shares the great story of Christ. The whole purpose there. So when you're looking, reading, I always wanted to say, Lord, show me. Let me see you. Let me find you. And I read. Consequently, I'm constantly looking for Jesus. I would encourage you to do that in your Bible reading. Lord, show me where you are. Let me see you. Because, you see, this is part of being a follower of Christ. I cannot learn of Jesus if I'm not following him. And the way I follow him in this day and age is because I read his word. And through his word, he tells me what I need to do. He becomes the light and helps me in my life. And if I don't have that in my life, then I'm not going to have the ability to follow him, be his disciples. It walks hand in hand. So it is important. It is important that scripture is part of your life. That maybe I need to turn off the TV. Or maybe I need to take time, whatever that happens. Now, some, some people find it's really helpful to get up early in the morning and do that and read their Bible early in the morning. That never worked for me. Mine always came later in the day. I found it came when I was clearer and awake and with it that I could find more and do it in Scripture later. It, it's all up to you, whatever it makes it there. But I'd like to give you a few hints about Bible study that were helpful for me. I'd like to give you a few. Here's number one coming along. A few hints about how to make this part. Make it part of your faith journey. So if you're concerned, your deal is like, I would like to walk where Jesus walked. I would like to be on that journey with Christ. I want to make that, then make it part of your journey. It is full of reward. Number two, use a readable Bible. A readable Bible for you. Now, there are all kinds of versions that are out, all kinds of helps, and going, I'm not so concerned the version that you're reading. I'm not concerned about that. You can find Christ in any version if you're looking. You could look and find him. So find one that reads well for you that you can follow and read and make that happen and choose that. Now, I like to take a Bible. My Bibles last about four or five years, and then I'm done with them because they're all worn out. But I like a Bible that I can take and have marks mark it up. Now, in this Bible, and I can't show you this from, but if you could possibly, with your great vision, 2040 or whatever it is, see that it has columns in it and it has notations in it. That, in Bible study, I like to see, oh, there's a little number there. What does that number need? And then I go look at another text in the Bible to find it, to pull it out and say, what are they talking about? Why are they linking these texts together? And that's how I can explore and find other things in Scripture. Just keep looking, just keep walking and going. It makes a wonderful way to go. So find a readable Bible, and I like to use a Bible that has notation in it, some kind of cross-referencing in it to make it go. Number three, find yourself in the Bible stories. This became a real eye-opener for me when 
I began to read the stories and the parts of uh, the scriptures, and I got into the story myself. So as I was reading, I would imagine and saying, all right, um, here is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Am I sitting there? Am I sitting there waiting to be fed? and the meal to come? Am I one of the disciples that's out handing out the food? Am I one of the, am I a little boy who brought the lunch? Where am I in that story? And so I put myself in the story of where I am at that moment. And all of a sudden that story comes alive to me because I'm in it and I'm enjoying it. And you're not ruining scripture, just get into it. What's in the story? When I read about Jesus on the cross, where am I at the cross? Am I one of the disciples that's hiding and fearful? Am I there? Where am I around the cross? Am I at the feet? Am I with the centurion who said, who, uh, said certainly this is the son of God? Am, am I part of that? Where am I in that story? At the resurrection, and you can jump through all these. Am I with Peter? Wherever I'm going, where am I in that story? to make it happen. Number four, pray for help first. I, when I open God's Word, I like to just say, and it's very simple, Lord, where are we going today? What's going to be the adventure today when I read my Bible? What am I going to gain from that? And I eagerly look at that. Now, I know as a pastor, I, I love the scriptures, and so I, I love to do reading about that. And I know all of us had different temperaments. We all have different interests. And so forth. But try it. Just, just say, Lord, help me. And you know what? He will. He is dying for you to find it. <laughs> He's wanting, go and find and look in there. And number five, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop. That step of not giving up get you over the hurdle. Now I had a, my sons, um, our children were taking music lessons. And um, if you've had children being with music lessons, you've experienced this. Where they're eager at first. Oh, yes. I'll never forget my son. Oh, he wanted to play the saxophone. And uh, so Greg got the saxophone, and we went and we bought him a saxophone to play, and he's going to play at the school band, um, which at times I wasn't sure if they were playing something or tuning up. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was actually, uh, actually what they were doing. I asked the band leader one time, and she said to me, I don't know either <laughs> uh, whether they are playing or tuning up. So uh, <laughs> they're going and forth. So, he is eager, and he gets his lesson, and he comes home, and he's ready to go. And that lasts almost a week. And then he, you know, this is kind of hard, and so forth. And so then he's, he'll say something like, you know, Dad, I don't think this is the instrument I want to play. I don't think I want to take it. After I've invested in a horn, in a saxophone, I go, oh, no. No, 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 no. We are going to, uh, we're going to learn to play. So I go in there and try to help him get over the hump. Do you know what I'm talking about? The hump of getting him far enough where all of a sudden they can play and they start enjoying the instrument. 
and get going. And so we made it a game and we had all kinds of things. We pretended audiences were there when he would play a scale and they had to stand and bow and say thank you very much. You know, Please play it again. They want to hear you play your scale again. and Do all these kind of things to get the child over the hump to make it happen and, and going. I, I got to add this at no extra charge today. So uh, Greg, Greg was uh, playing and um, practicing after three years of lessons, I, he, he was wearing this thing around his neck, and now he's kind of, you know, stooped because he's carrying this horn around him. And I don't see here much improvement at all. And I'm getting weary of paying for lessons. And so um, he was uh, in eighth grade. He'd been playing for three years. So it happened to be one of his lessons. I went, I went to uh, pick him up. And I had to pay, make the month payment. So I was getting out of the car, and I heard this beautiful sax being played. And I said to myself, I hope someday. I was discouraged. I was going to say, let's, kid, let's quit. You're not getting it. And I was going to say to him, you know, if he could learn to play, hang on, Dad, maybe there's a miracle that could happen, and someday he could learn to play like that. So I went up to the officer, and I was sure that it was the teacher who was illustrating and playing. And so I poked my head in the door, and the teacher's standing with his wife. Their hands full. They're not playing. And I, ooh, someone else. And so I had a lesson, so I didn't see my son, so I start to back out of the doorway. And he goes, no, no, come in, come in. So I went in, and to my shock, there was my son playing this. I'm stunned. I never heard anything like that at home. I heard a hoot-doot-doot-doot-doot, but never, never anything like that. It was gorgeous. And I, uh, after he finished, I said to the teacher, um, how long has Craig been playing like that? Oh, about a year or so. A year or so? Really? He says, oh, yes. I said, well, I, um, he sounds good enough to play for church. Oh, yeah, he's, he's good enough to play for church, for sure. And um, he should be competing. Competing? <laughs> competing in what? <laughs> and he said, well, um, when he gets into high school, he needs to enter into competitions for, for playing because he's very good. He's very good. Mm. And he needs a more expensive instrument. I knew that was coming. <laughs> and he's moved beyond. He needs to get a professional instrument. Really? So Greg went on to play. And so I lined him up at church to play for special music. But well, we had a law at the church at that time, where I was pastoring, that no child could get up and play for church until they had proved themselves at Sabbath school. You know? And um, I violated that, because it's my son. <laughs> and so we lined him up for church. And I could see some on the music committee going, uh-oh, Pastor Bill knows the rule, and this is not the rule. So Greg got up, and he, 
the horn, you know, he's, he still hadn't hit his growth spurt. He's still a little kid. And, and he comes up there, and he's got this horn up, and he sets his music up, and they're all patiently waiting and ready for that sound to come out. And he played To God Be the Glory. I don't know if you know that uh, song there. So beautifully that after he was done, the congregation stood and applauded. And they never did that. Well, that was nice. You know, Dad, Dad was saved from there. But my point being, you need to get over the hump as well. Get the habit going in your Bible reading. Get over that so you find the joy of it. Get over that part. If you just start reading just a little bit, no, this is, this is a boring story. Keep going. Don't give up. So when the scriptures say, when the scriptures talk to us, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path, you'll discover how that is. You'll see how it opens the door for you. You'll see how truth, but you'll see how God speaks to you because you will find that you can hide his word, take his word into your heart, and therefore your relationship with him will build. And it will be great. And you'll love it. The love of scripture. Our church, family, our denomination needs to get back to being people of the book. Please be a people of the book. Now, next week, we are going to uh, have something. Um, actually, next week, the Lord is inviting you to his dinner, to his supper. It's the Lord's invitation to you. Come and participate at the Lord's supper. He's inviting you to be present and to be there. So today... Next week, we will look at the issue of how do we share our faith? Why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Why do we struggle with that so much to do it? But today, let us glorify the Lord in his word and in his actions. Father, I thank you for the precious word that you've given because it reveals to us the great salvation offered to us through Jesus Christ from page one to the very last page of Revelation. And as we look through it and see, we can see how you were talking to us even so thousands of years ago. And we can see the relevance as we read and see your message talking to us. And we can see how you were being that light and guidance and how it builds our relationship with you. Lord, may we treasure your word. Make it a priority. In Jesus' name, amen.